Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hi, you guys. It's episode 46 And today's episode is Dr. Dina, who is a hospitalist and also someone in her 40s who's been struggling with her fertility. And in today's episode, I should say today's episode is uh, loosely used because it was recorded a year ago. So um, I'm so sorry about that. Thank you so much for your patience, Dina. Um, But today's episode is really about the roller coaster ride of IVF and the multiple cycles it took for Dina to be able to um, find the team that could help her. Um, I've had several physicians on the show and think that sometimes we think that they have an easier time. Really isn't the case. They struggle like we do and unfortunately they get dismissed like we do or turned away and um, it can be really, really frustrating and for her, Her main concern was unexplained infertility, and we talk about what that experience is like and what that means, and it sometimes can be very, very frustrating to not have an answer. Um, We also talk about quite a few topics, um, but sometimes about stuff that we don't expect to experience and kind of what life is like on the other side after you do have your baby, and some people still struggle. And there's no shame in that. I think that sometimes we think that things will be just fine if we finally get, you know, what we've been working so hard for. And it's not always the case. And there are many different experiences and we kind of cover the spectrum of it all today. And so I really want to thank Dina for being so open and being so candid with her story and to really trust me with her story. And um, I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, I really hope that this space felt um, safe for her to share everything. And um, that's what I hope that everyone does experience is that this safe uh, space to be able to feel like you're not alone and to feel like someone else is sharing some of these feelings that you have. So um, I do want to thank everyone who's been on the show. I want to thank Dina today for being so open and all of you for your grace and your patience as I work through all of this. I know it's difficult sometimes, but you know, finding some support can sometimes be really helpful. And I'm so grateful for all of you who've been so supportive um, through all of this. And, you know, Dina and I talk about some of that today. And, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about what support looks like. Um, There's so many great resources out there. So, you know, make sure you get yourself some um, support groups or there's a bunch of different other options if there are some limitations with insurance and stuff like that, which for a lot of us there are. Um, but, you know, I'm so grateful for Dina for always being one of my big support people and people that I can turn to and, um, you know, for a long time was just, you know, checking on me regularly and I... Um, you know, that was just so meaningful to me. And she's a lovely, lovely human. So if you get a chance to connect with her, you'll see that she is just such a kind person. Um, And so thank you so much for sharing your very, very meaningful story with us. And um, I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for having you on the show. Um, And thank you so much for sharing this with um, so many people. And I really hope you guys enjoy the episode. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Today, we have Dr. Dina Wilson on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dina. I'm so excited to have you on here. 
Of course, Victoria. Thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be here on your podcast and sharing my story. Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's an important one to share. I think particularly for people who dealt with unexplained infertility, which I think can be so frustrating. Like the diagnosis can be so frustrating because you're like, I think you feel like you lose so much control when you don't have an explanation or like a reason. There's like nothing to blame, you know, and I think you could feel so helpless sometimes. So I think it's important to kind of explore some of this. Yeah, definitely. Well said. It is very frustrating. So why don't we start from the beginning? Let's why don't you tell us about kind of how you got to the space, um, when you started, all that good stuff. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I have a pretty long and complicated story. I'll definitely try to keep it simple. I got married in 2002 uh, at the age of 24. I was lucky to find my partner early on. At the time that we got married, uh, he was in the process of starting his medical training. And so, you know, we kind of had the family talk about you know, family aspirations and, you know, when we wanted to start and that sort of thing. And he wanted to wait, obviously, given that he was just about to start a rigorous journey himself and, you know, didn't want to be an absentee parent. (laughs) So we both made the mutual decision to kind of hold off on that. Just wait until some of the, you know, worst years were over in terms of like time and training and that sort of thing. And so kind of waited, I guess, a couple of years into our marriage. I decided to kind of just get things checked out, you know, make sure everything was normal in terms of, you know, how it goes. Like I knew early on, I just sensed something wasn't right, that we were you know, most likely going to have issues. So just went to an OB who basically did the basic eval in terms of blood work and everything was like, everything is normal. You're fine. You know, it'll happen. Don't worry about it. And So that was, I guess, at the time, reassuring that, you know, blood work and everything was fine. And that was in your mid-20s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was about 26. And so not long after my husband started medical school, I decided I wanted to go. (laughs) You know, I started pursuing prerequisites and taking classes and basically got super busy myself. And so uh, family was kind of put on the back burner again. Fast forward, you know, I started school in 2008, graduated in 2012 at the age of 34, and then I finished residency at the age of 37. And like I said, the whole time, kind of like, we knew that we had a problem, but we were just like, well, we'll just do IVF when the time comes to start our family. We'll just do IVF. Wait, how'd you know you had a problem? I wasn't on any birth control. We weren't actively trying, but you know, it was like, okay, I mean, I know the timing is off, but after all these years, like, okay, now you would think something would happen. Because a few years into our marriage, we were like, well, you know, if it happens, then it can happen, you know, at this point, like we would be okay with it. But then as I got deeper into my medical school journey too, I just didn't really have time to look into it. So you know, our path led us to Texas at one point when he was a resident there. And so I went and saw another OB who like specialized in infertility, but he wasn't a reproductive endocrinologist, but kind of same thing. He just did basic workup, no imaging or anything. It was all based just on physical and history and basic labs. And he didn't seem too concerned either. And it was just, you know, I was frustrated because I felt like no one was really taken me seriously. And in retrospect, it was like, wow, you know, you'd think they'd hear my history and just automatically refer me, right? Or what I thought needed a referral at the time. In 2016, not long after I finished my residency, we started IVF. So wait, wait, let's back up. How did you get to the fertility doctor? We called the fertility clinic where we live. Oh, okay. So you kind of self-referred? You can just call they can, you know, start it, which most people think you need a referral to a clinical, to a reproductive endocrinologist. Yes. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) I didn't know that. So I try and tell everyone. Right. Yeah. I think if I had known. Yeah. I'm like, you don't need a referral. Just go. (laughs) Yeah. If I had known even earlier on my journey, you know, I definitely would have referred myself. I just. uh... And they're happy to like explore. Like, 
Whereas I think your gynecologist typically is like, meh. And I think part of that is because they're bound by like health insurance and health system rules and policies and blah, blah, blah. I kept waiting for like a gynecologist to say, yes, you need a referral. Here's a referral to the fertility doctor. And I didn't realize until like way into my fertility experience path that you don't need it. You can just go. So to everyone who's listening, you can just go if you want to. Most of the time, some places require referral, but very few do. Very few. Yeah. A lot of times you can just make that appointment, go straight to the source, you know, the expert in the field. Yeah. I just want to make sure that like we say that because to your point, it's important to just be like, hey, I'm not being heard. Something I feel like is not right. Let me just check it out from the source itself. So, okay. So you referred yourself to a fertility clinic and then what? And then basically given our age and our history, the REI at the time recommended we go straight to IVF, which we were totally fine with. And was your AMH okay? Like was your FSH okay, AMH? Mm -hmm. I had a completely normal workup, AMH, all labs were normal and okay. Nothing really she was worried about at the time or any red flags at all. Yeah. So we went straight into IVF that year in 2016. So tell me about your first round. Oh, man. I was very naive going into that first round. And every time I think about it, I get choked up (laughs) and feel really bad for that girl. (laughs) I went into that first round thinking, you know, this was going to be the solution to everything. And it was just going to take care of all of our problems. We were super excited that we had finally reached a point in our life as a couple that we could actually afford to do IVF. You know, a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you do it sooner? We were both in medicine training. We didn't have the time, you know, and it's definitely not a field that gives you time to do something like this. And we didn't have the money, just didn't have the resources. And so when we started, we were excited. We were very hopeful. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. (laughs) I was terrified. Uh, with all the shots and injections and trying to get organized. I was a brand new attending, you know, at a residency. So I had a pretty stressful job. You know, I'm a hospitalist, but I was also managing ICU patients. And it was a pretty stressful, you know, schedule overall, just long hours. But anyway, and I had to drive an hour and a half to get to the clinic to where I was doing my cycle. So I remember at the time, like I had to work night shifts so that I could get off in the morning, and make the hour and a half drive to the clinic. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, we were pretty excited about it all. And the cycle went well in terms of, you know, how I responded. You know, thankfully, I didn't have any side effects of the medications and everything went well. We went into our retrieval very happy and I think that first time we got 17 eggs and my RE was super excited. Like I still remember the way she came in was like, we got 17, you know, and she was super upbeat. And did you know what to expect? Like, did you know, like how many eggs retrieve, like what that process looked like? Because I know I didn't. Nobody told me about that. No, I mean, I was learning as I went along. I definitely didn't know like the drastic cutoffs that you would go through in terms of, you know, how many you lose in the process between retrieval, fertilization and blastocyst formation. That was a huge shock. And I think that's interesting, too, because I mean, I think we assume that people in medicine have an upper edge, right? Like we just assume like, well, you're a doctor, like, I'm sure you get it. I'm sure you know all this stuff. But I mean, like this is the second Yeah. Second physician I've talked to that has been dismissed by other physicians, number one. And number two, going into IVF, wasn't sure like what to expect. So I think I think that's important to kind of share, too, is that like it's all a mystery. A lot of us don't know what's going on or what it's like. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, medicine's become so specialized and everyone is just kind of in their own niche. You know, I mean, reproductive medicine is a huge field in itself. And so, I mean, you just get 
little snippets in medical school, maybe a PowerPoint presentation here and there. But I mean, <laughs> if you were awake enough or like, you know, present at the time, unless you took a specific interest in that area. No, I mean, I mean, that's why you have specialists because medicine is broad. And yeah, so that was definitely an eye opener. <laughs> so uh, you got 17 eggs retrieved. Yeah, 17. And we were so naive that we just made a big celebration out of our first IVF cycle. Um, I had some friends from medical school fly into the area. It was going to be this big reunion. I was like, yeah, we're going to be doing IVF. And, you know, we'll just celebrate after my retrieval and we'll have a good time. And, you know, it was just a big, (laughs) this big deal out of it. Oh, man. In retrospect, (laughs) that is not the time to be getting people together (laughs) during an IVF cycle. But um, so, yeah, we, you know, celebrated, I guess, retrieval day. And then they told me that they would call me back on day five to give me my report. We happened to all be taking a trip to the coast. And I remember I had uh, felt my phone vibrating. and I looked at it and saw that it was the clinic. And I thought, well, this is weird. It was day three. Um, and I thought that was very strange. And so I picked it up and the embryologist on the other end, um, I mean, she just started talking and I mean, it was a pretty traumatizing experience, just her delivery overall. But she just said, you know, well, I don't know what's happening, but all your embryos have arrested. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, I just didn't really know what she was saying. And she's like, well, they just stopped growing and I don't know what's happening. And I've never seen this before. And this is very strange. And she just went on and on and on. And by then I was already just bawling. I mean, I was absolutely hysterical. And, you know, that time kind of sometimes, you know, we all have moments in our lives, I guess, when you just feel like, you know, it's a very pivotal moment things are about to change and not necessarily for the better. That was pretty, pretty tough call. As you can see, I get emotional thinking about it even every time. So yeah, I just kind of took that blow that day um, with all my friends there. I mean, they were supportive, but it was pretty awful, you know, just trying to deal with it all. Just cried, you know, for days until the WTF appointment follow up which I didn't even know what to expect at that time either or how that would go. You know, she started it by saying, well, the two of you have a very long history of infertility. And (laughs) we remember just looking at each other like, yeah, we are aware of that. (laughs) So, yeah, we kind of decided to try again. Uh, She recommended maybe trying a different protocol and doing some genetic testing. And that was the plan is to just give it another go. Did you feel like that conversation with her went a lot better than the conversation with the embryologist? Like, did you feel like she was a little bit more supportive or did you feel like she offered not necessarily an explanation, but like you guys had discussed it? She was very clinical and succinct. I can't necessarily say that I felt supported or, you know. I just got a feeling that she didn't really believe in our case. And I actually had second thoughts about even doing another trial with that clinic. But I mean, it was just one of those things where you have to try. You know, my husband and I talked about it at the time. We were, you know, like, well, we're established here. We have to try. We can't just. But I mean, yeah, to answer your question, that conversation maybe went much better than the conversation with the embryologist. That conversation, I would say, definitely haunts me till this day. You know, I don't know that I think some of these people realize that the delivery of information can be so impactful in so many ways, you know, particularly when we're already vulnerable in our emotional space. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that whole experience has definitely changed the way I practice myself as a doctor every day. You know, I have to deliver a lot of bad news, unfortunately. I definitely take time to give myself a time out and self-reflect and gather my thoughts and kind of decide how I'm going to deliver, you know, this particular news to this particular patient in this particular circumstance. And it, I guess, 
was the silver lining of that whole process is this made me think that much harder about how I deal with my own patients. And I mean, you know, and at the end of the day, there is no glorious way or good way, I guess, you know, it's just, there's no way. I don't know. But there is an art to it. So you and your husband talked about it and you said, okay, you're going to go for another round with the same clinic. So what happened on the second round? Yeah. So then we went the second cycle. It was a a drastically different protocol. It was like a Lupron flare protocol and she added Omnitrope. Responded well. Things looked promising, but then came out of the retrieval and only had six eggs, which is like a huge drop off compared to the first cycle. And none of them made it to day three either. And so that was kind of the beginning of my, I guess, downhill spiral because it just felt like the walls were closing in on me and I just didn't know what to do. And so I went into the the internet rabbit hole. (laughs) You became the patient. (laughs) Yep, exactly. The thing that we tell patients not to do, I did. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, just did all the reading on, you know, infertility and unexplained infertility and day three embryo arrest, you know, joined some online infertility groups where I was able to, you know, learn a lot too about other people's experiences. And, you know, I came to find out that three day embryo arrest isn't terribly uncommon. You know, it does happen. You know, there's lists of reasons as to why it may happen, but it wasn't as, I guess, earth shattering in the sense of the way that embryologist was like, I've never seen this before, you know, and it was just so I guess in a sense that gave me just a little bit of hope, like, okay, so this does happen. This is, you know, granted, we didn't know why. It just has never happened to her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So did a lot of reading, you know, research different clinics, talk to people in some of the online groups and ultimately decided that we were going to go to a neighboring state and try another clinic that had gotten really good reviews. And, you know, I, from the reading I had done and the suggestions other warriors had shared, they'd said, you need to consider a day three embryo transfer. People were like, well, for whatever reason, some women's embryos don't make it to blastocyst stage. You know, sometimes it's protocol. Sometimes it could be the lab. There are many factors. So I had asked my first RE at the time if she would be willing to do or try day three embryo transfer. And she flat out told me that I would have to find a new clinic. So that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for us. And we were like, okay. So we went to this other clinic. Uh, we did a third cycle. How'd you find this clinic? How'd you decide on this next clinic that you went to? I needed to find a place that would be willing to do day three transfers. And this particular clinic had gotten really good reviews. It was close enough to us in the neighboring state where we wouldn't have to do, you know, extensive traveling. But the physician had gotten really stellar reviews as she was, you know, had a great bedside manner, employed shared decision making in terms of like letting you kind of participate in the process. You know what I mean? Kind of help advocate for yourself too. And she was amazing. She was just incredibly compassionate and went over and beyond, you know, to kind of help us find a plan. And she ended up consulting with a mentor of hers that she had trained with who'd had a ton of experience. So she was like, well, and we have, you know, we put this great plan and protocol in place and we did it. And same thing. Everything went well. You know, stem went well. Follicles responded. Everything went great. I just remember at the time, I really, really wanted to try a day three transfer. Like that was my thing. We did a day three fresh transfer with her. I remember it was that time of year. It was actually coming up on Thanksgiving when the transfer took place. And my beta day was on Thanksgiving day. (laughs) And my husband was on a much needed visit out to see his family for the holidays. 
I woke up that morning thinking, okay, I had initially decided I wasn't going to test, but I was like, I have to go to work. (laughs) Couldn't help it. Well, and I had to go to work. I told myself, well, I just need to know so I can focus and concentrate on my work and not worry about it. So I tested and oh my gosh, that was awful. It was negative and I completely lost it. I was just sobbing and it was like, not even six o'clock in the morning because I had a morning shift that day. And I was so upset that I got in my car and forgot to like open the garage door. <laughs> and I like completely backed into it, <laughs> just bawling my eyes no. out. I know, it was horrible. It was horrible. And then I couldn't get out and then I couldn't go to work because I was trapped. So, and it was Thanksgiving and there were, no Ubers, like nothing. <laughs> I had to take a cab and pay a ridiculous amount of money to take me to the job. It was a bad day. So that was cycle number three. <laughs> Unsuccessful, fresh day three transfer. And my RE at the time had decided we were going to transfer some and then try to push the rest to blast. Yeah, so we kind of split the batch and none of them made it to blast the stage either. So we did another fourth cycle with her, same thing, pretty much similar outcome. We didn't do a transfer of all that cycle because she really wanted to push us to see if we could get to blastocyst stage. And unfortunately, we didn't. So we lost them all. You know, that's another cycle that I kind of think about. You know, I'm sure we all go back and ponder things, you know, like, oh, if I had only done this, that, and the other. Was that the cycle you did IVM? So IVM came later. Um, we went to a third clinic. <laughs> From there, what made you want to change clinics? My RE in so many words felt like there probably wouldn't be any benefit for us to keep doing what we're doing. She didn't come out and say it, but we kind of read between the lines. When you feel like your doctor is like giving you the sense that you're a hopeless case, it's like, okay, well. We kind of parted ways. We loved her. She was amazing, but it was just kind of something that we had to do. So talked to more people, you know, read some more, and we decided to try a third clinic. We actually went to CCRM Mountain, Colorado at Lemon Tree with Dr. Schoolcraft. You know, I remember when we went out there to do our one-day workup, my husband and I were standing outside the clinic, and I just looked at it. I just looked at him and I said, well, this is supposed to be the magic kingdom. This is supposed to be where the magic happens. (laughs) He still like teases me about that whole comment until this day because he, by that point, he wasn't so sure anymore himself. Like, you know, he was like, I don't really know if this is going to work for us. And, you know, I don't blame him, you know. And it's hard because even as physicians, you know, we know what a poor prognosis is. We both deliver bad news. We know, you know, what that means and what futility is after a while. So we get it. I mean, we knew that nothing against these REs, you know, sometimes you just see a really tough case and you think, man, this is not looking good, (laughs) you know, but whether you choose to reveal that to your patient or not is very much an individual thing in terms of being a provider. We talked to Dr. Schoolcraft and he basically said, look, you know, I don't really know if I have anything to offer you guys. I mean, donor egg is going to be your best option and you've already proven yourself at two reputable labs. And I don't really think that we need to repeat the same thing that you've been doing. I mean, it was a blow too, because we were hoping like, okay, maybe he would be a bit more optimistic, but I mean, he was frank, you know, and he said the odds were very much against us. He said, There's only one thing I can try for you is called IVM, you know, in vitro maturation, you know, something that he's been working with. And there have been a cohort of patients that, you know, that have success with this particular method. And he said, you know, we can give it a try. And how old were you at this point? At that point, closer to 40. I think when I first established, yeah, 40. So we did IVM, which is basically... A gentle IVF, if you would, it uses much lower dose medications. Uh, You stem for a shorter amount of time and you trigger a lot sooner than you would with traditional IVF. 
And so the idea is to get the eggs out in an immature state and you kind of mature them in certain media and see how they do. So we did a cycle. I think we did, yeah, cycle number five with him. We got about nine eggs retrieved, which is good, considered good for in vitro maturation. And we got the call on day three. You know, we were about to board a plane back home and the embryologist was like, you know, they're not looking great. They're lagging behind. And so he wants to freeze them on day three. I mean, we were crushed, you know, because our hopes was to have this work for us and get to blastocyst. It felt like a huge defeat at the time. You know, we were just like, this sucks. Like, we're just not getting anywhere. Oh, yeah. I remember my regroup with him on the phone. I was just like, well, what are we going to do with these days? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're going to transfer them. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it was just eggs, though, right? They hadn't been fertilized, right? No, they fertilize them. Yeah, they just get the eggs out sooner. So the follicles like, yeah. So with traditional IVF, you know, you trigger between, I don't know, 18 to 22, maybe depending on the protocol and the RE. But with IVM, we were triggering around 12. We retrieve the eggs a lot sooner and then they mature them in the media. But a lot of mine were mature already, which was kind of surprising for us because we're like, well, this is strange. <laughs> they ended up fertilizing whatever matured, you know, in the media, if, if they did, and then whatever was already mature, they fertilized them and then froze them on day three. And so we decided to just do another cycle just to try to bank embryos. Um, so we did a six cycle and we got um, I think six and froze. Did you do IVM for that too? Yeah, we did IVM for that as well. And yeah, I mean, we had zero hope by then. At that point, I think we were just going through the motion because we knew that this was going to be the last clinic and this is going to be our chapter where, you know, we told each other if it didn't work that, you know, we would have closure that we tried our best, you know. So I mean, I was getting ready. I was getting ready. I was buying all the books and preparing myself emotionally. And I went there. And so we went back and did a transfer in December of 2019. We did a natural modified FET. And I remember my nurse at the time, my coordinator, she's like, are you sure you want to do this, Dina? Because natural cycles can be tricky, especially with you being out of state. You know, they get canceled a lot. You know, they can be really frustrating where if you just do regular, we can kind of control your stuff. She's like, we're coming up on the holidays and, you know, if things don't fall perfectly, your cycle could get canceled because of Christmas and stuff. So, and I, him and Hod, him and Hod, my husband and I talked about it. Like, we, we just didn't know. We were like, let's just do it. Like, let's just get this done and get it over with. Yeah. You know? Did you decide on this natural transfer or did your fertility doctor decide or did you kind of talk about it? We talked about it. I mean, I wanted something that, you know, didn't require as much meds and, you know, just as natural as possible, I guess, if there is such a thing with this process. So yeah, we did a day three transfer, got our positive miraculously. <laughs> it was a horrible two week wait. Like I said, I went there like I was ready. I was preparing myself for like the worst case scenario. And shockingly, it worked. And then like a few months later, they declared the pandemic and the world shut down. Oh, wonderful timing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was just insane. Dr. Schoolcraft had said, you know, all I have is a Hail Mary. That's what it was. <laughs> It's like, do you believe in Hail Mary? Yeah. <laughs> like, I did not, but now I do. Yeah. Yes, yes. You're like, I believe in the magic kingdom. <laughs> this is a magic You're like, kingdom. that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was my magic kingdom for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so great. I mean, it's so hard. You know, every time I do these things, like the things I feel like I didn't know, and you can tell me how you felt too. Things I feel like I didn't know coming into this. You know, like you, I thought this was a guarantee, right? 
IVF is going to solve everything. Like this is the magic tool. Now, I remember even when I was younger, people would ask me like, oh, do you know when you would have kids? I'm like, no, I don't know. But there's always science. There's always IVF and that'll always save me. Like I remember saying, like talk about like naive me, like silly me. I have said those exact words. I have said that you are not. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now back to our episode. And then you're just like, well, you know, if anything, you could just do IVF and that'll solve everything. And then like, just so clueless as to like how it actually works. And then you start, right? And then you start and you are not prepared for all of these emotions to come out of you, to come at you, to come, you know, at all. And it just is a blow, like you said. Yeah, it's an emotional riptide. I mean, it will pull you under. It just like the more you try to swim and come out and, you know, it just sucks you down. And you know, on your point about, you know, us all saying, well, we'll just do IVF, you know, that first cycle, they called us with our fertilization report and they told us eight had fertilized. And, you know, it was a huge drop off, but we didn't know. We didn't even like zero in yeah, on that. Yeah, eight we babies. Like, oh, eight. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Eight. What are we yeah, going to do? Yeah, with yeah, eight? yeah. We can't have eight babies. Like, I remember we were in a winery, you know, with our friends and they were ahead of us and we were out in the parking lot and my husband and I were giddy. I mean, we were hugging each other. We were like, eight. Oh, my God. Like, this is amazing. We were just, oh, my gosh, that poor girl. When they retrieved eight eggs, I'm like, sweet, eight eggs. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then like you, like the drop offs, just like, poof, like. You know, and then they called me the next day, day after, I can't remember. And they're like, well, only five were mature. And I'm like, what does that mean? What do you mean mature? I don't like, what does that even mean? And then of course, no explanation, but it was like five mature. And I was like, okay. And they're like, well, now we wait for them to fertilize. And I'm like, okay, well, five. I mean, I don't like, I don't want five kids, but it's a great place to start. If I have five embryos and whatever, right? And they're like, well, only three fertilized. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, three. Three's good. Like three's reasonable. Three's a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three's a lot better. So I get the blast report, right? We have three blasts. No, sorry, two blasts. It just becomes a lot more real at that point. I'm like, wait, we're from eight to five to three to two. They're like, okay, now we're going to send them off to testing because I was 38 at the time, right? And I was like, well, I want these tested. So we sent them off to testing. And I remember thinking, what if these don't come back normal? maybe one will come back normal. Like, okay, so I lost all these other ones, but like, I've got to get one normal, right? There's got to be one normal. Comes back zero normal, zero normal. It wasn't just like one or two like genetic anomalies. It was like this long list of chromosomes that were all jacked up. I was not prepared for that to happen. I was starting to get there like after I found out like from the three that fertilized, only two made it to blast. Like that was my moment of like, wait, it's possible that this may not work. Like it's possible that I may not get anything out of this, that this may yield like zero result. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, like I didn't plan for this. Like I didn't, I didn't see this coming. And that can be so devastating for some people that don't expect it. Cause I, nobody had that conversation with me. Like They didn't say, hey, you can go from here to here to here to here to here. Such a huge drop off. I didn't see that coming at all. And I think when you don't see it coming and you're blindsided by it, it is like earth shattering. It really is. And so I think that's something that I think people should understand and know about. Fortunately, it took you a long time to get there and you were able to get the outcome that you wanted. But, you know, throughout the whole process, what do you think you wish you would have known? I mean, I definitely wish I had known that IVF is so complicated and it's not straightforward. It's not a one and done. I wish I had known that, you know, there are other ways to do things, to think and go outside the box, which we did eventually. 
and to just be okay, you know, advocating for yourself, you know, and making sure you find that right fit between you and a physician and to follow your gut. You know, if you feel like, you know, somebody's just not really into your case for whatever reason, like they're just going through the motions, you know, to go back to your previous question. One of the hardest things for me was feeling so alone. It's just such a heavy weight, like that feeling every day, day in, day out, just not knowing if you'd ever get there and just learning how to deal with the grief of what I thought my family would look like. Like I remember being at work and having to give my own patients bad news. I'd you know, get my own bad news from my cycle. I'd have to go into a bathroom like, ball my eyes out, you know, and let it all out and, you know, go to the ICU and talk to patients and families about end of life discussions. So did you have any support? I mean, I know it was hard, you know, time wise. Did you have like a therapist or someone that you could go to? I didn't. I think if I had to go back, I would definitely do that over. You know, I didn't have time and I didn't really know like there were therapists out there who specialized in infertility or reproductive trauma. I feel like had I known, I would have pursued it. And I remember kind of looking vaguely in the area where I am. This was like pre-pandemic where everything was in person, you know. There were none in my area. And it was like, I don't want to add something else to do on my list because my schedule was already kind of shot with everything else I was doing. But no, I mean, my biggest supporter is my husband. I mean, he's always been my boulder. He's been a great support. You know, and I have some friends who I've been able to kind of open up to as well. And other warriors who you just kind of feel an instant connection with because you understand, you know, each other and what the journey is like. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely would, would do that over if I could. You know, you were able to have your child. You know, obviously, this is still really difficult to talk about. So first, thank you for talking to us about it. And thank you for opening up that part of your story to us. But I think the other thing that's important for some people who've had their children, and maybe they feel guilt, or maybe they feel like they should be over it, quote unquote, by now, that it doesn't go away, that it still kind of sticks with you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, anything was wrong with you or anything like that. But I know that some people who've had their children, you know, still struggle with some of these things or, you know, if they plan to have their second or they're dealing with secondary infertility, you know, that this can still be something that affects you, you know, even after it doesn't just go away just because you get your baby, you know, you still struggle with a lot of the pain that comes with it. I want to make sure that we talk about that too, because I don't want people to feel like, oh my gosh, well, I had my baby. Why, why aren't I happier by now? Or, you know, why do I feel this way? You know, as you know, fertility is a type of trauma. It's not something that just goes away. It definitely stays with us. You know, I'll be the first to admit when I was in the, the dark places of my journey pre-Zade, I just remember like hearing other women share their stories about secondary infertility. And I remember feeling like, well, at least they have a child, you know, at least they have experienced motherhood and they've had all this stuff. You know, I'm not proud that I felt that way, but it's just one of the ugly truths of this journey. Sometimes, you know, we experience emotions that take us by surprise. And uh, and yeah, the reality is it doesn't go away. I mean, I mean, every day is a reminder of what we had to go through to have him and I mean, I still grieve what I thought my family would look like. You grieve all the embryos and all the what ifs and should haves, you know what I mean? All the regret and the things that you look back on. But, you know, I try to remind myself, too, that I had to go through every single step of that process to meet my son. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. That brings me strength. But at the same time, it's weird because I never thought, Having his stuff around would be my own trigger, too, in a sense. Like seeing his little baby, you know, bassinet that he slept in or all the stuff that he's outgrowing. When I look at it, I have trouble, you know, because it's like, is this the last time I get to experience this? Will I have to put this stuff away forever? I'll give it away. 
That's a different kind of <laughs> grief, I guess. Well, and I don't think anyone talks about that. Like what happens after you have your baby? You know, if you're one of the people that, you know, get to have your baby, what happens to those feelings? And I think it's important to express that. Like, you know, it doesn't make your story unusual. It doesn't make, you know, but I think it's important to share those feelings because I don't know that you'd prepared for that either, right? Like you probably thought like, oh, if I have a baby, I'm going to be excited and it's all going to be over. And finally, right? Like, I think that's what we all think is going to happen. But I think it's important to prepare for this too. Yeah. And it does. I think, you know, in the beginning, obviously you're like, okay, I've, you know, achieved success or have my baby. But yeah, I mean, depending on what you want your family to look like and depending on how your cycles have went, you know, were you fortunate enough to be able to bank embryos, you know? Are you able to go back and just do a transfer and have it work again? And there is the family that you were hoping for or dreaming of. Or, you know, in my case, we were fortunate with a day three, but it's like, do you have age on your side? You know, it's like there's all these factors that make it so much harder to go back and fight again, you know? Well, and that's the other thing, too, is if emotionally you feel like you can get back in the ring, so to speak. Like if you feel like, okay, you know, and some people think, oh, well, you had a couple years, then, you know, you had a break, then you can get back in it. But it's just like you said, that that traumatic kind of experience lives in your body, that trauma lives in your body and you feel all those feelings all over again once you start to kind of like think about that process. And so that can be very difficult and it's not as easy. I will be 100% transparent, honest. I was one of those people who thought like, well, at least you have a kid, at least you know what that's like. You know what I mean? You're right. I did too. I was that person. And now I'm in a different box now. In a sense, I feel like, wow, where do I belong now? You know, like in the beginning, I was just, you know, in the trenches with everyone else, if you would, you know, fighting and clawing my way to that first child. And, and you know, the reality and the fact is that the desire is still there. And fertility is still with me. It doesn't go away. That's what's even more screwed up about the whole process because, you know, there's always that tiny voice inside your head thinking, oh, maybe now my body will <laughs> fix itself after having a baby. And it'll happen spontaneously while breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like those stories you hear, right? Oh, my God. Such a freaking roller coaster. I mean. And yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Victoria. I do think it's an important topic to talk about because, I mean, the reality is, I mean, everyone's fighting their own battle, regardless of where you are. Everyone's hurting and, you know, trying to complete their family. And I wish I had been more understanding myself when I was in that place, but I've just been learning and growing myself. Yeah. And I think there are challenges in doing this as a mom, though, because you have to be there for your child now, right? Where there wasn't one before that you had to be present for. So, you know, as you're going through these emotions, you have these emotions, plus you have a little human. So I think that's an added challenge yeah. when you didn't have that before, when you just had emotions, not just emotions, but right. you know what I mean? When, right, right. When you had emotions yeah. and you had this goal, but now you have emotions and then you know, you have a little human that you have to take care of, but you still have work and you still have all this other stuff that you have to pay attention to. It's like another, not that it's a burden. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is just that it's more complex. It is just a lot more complicated. Yeah. It just makes it that much more complicated. I mean, scheduling and, and IVF is hard in itself. The out-of-state IVF is a different beast. And add a toddler to another <laughs> beast. So it's just like, wow. <laughs> and I think, too, some people might feel like a sense of guilt, too, for feeling this way. Because I know sometimes that comes up. They're like, you know, well, I'm lucky that I have a kid. I'm lucky that I, you know, have done this. I've gotten a kid out of this. So why am I so upset or why am I so, you know, ungrateful or whatever? And I don't think people should feel guilty for having these feelings even after you have a child. I think, you know, like you said, everyone's experience or desires or whatever are their own. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with feeling how you feel because it's how you feel. And if it is painful or difficult or if it's a struggle, 
you know, it still is. And just because you're a mom and you're struggling with, say, secondary infertility, doesn't make you less of a warrior or not like an infertile, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's like, I think people feel like they don't quote unquote belong, which is kind of silly because I think we're all going through the same thing. It's the same, like, I don't want to say same pain, but it's similar pain and struggles. And whether you have a child or not, I think that pain just sucks. And to kind of exclude someone because they have a child, I think can be very hurtful, you know, because you're like, I hurt too. Like, this is hard for me too. Whether or not you have a child, I think just the desire, like you said, is there. And when you can't meet that desire. You know, that's kind of something I struggled a lot with. You know, I started my Instagram account when I uh, went to my third clinic and it was just kind of more of like the way I managed to just deal with my grief. It's just writing it down and putting it out there and I remember when I first posted about it, I stopped and thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) I went and changed the privacy settings. I changed it back to the private and then I changed it to public. Then I changed it to private. (laughs) I was just freaking out that, oh, my God, this is crazy because I'm an extremely private person. I'm a huge introvert and I don't ever talk about my problems. And um, so this was a huge leap for me. But eventually I got to be more comfortable with it. But after having my son, I was very confused about, you know, where to go with my account. You know, I didn't know. I was talking about my struggles of getting here. And now I'm here. I don't know what to do. Like at first I was, I thought, well, I'm not going to post any pictures of him because I know how triggering that can be. I know how painful it is. And then that got to be difficult, too, because I thought, well, this is crazy. He's a part of my story. Like, I can't act like he's not here. I can't not talk about him. He's part of my my journey. And I can't ignore that. So then I started to talk about him. But then I don't know. I think I just kind of felt awkward in the space again and felt like I lost my voice and wasn't really sure how to go on sharing from this point. So there are plenty of people out there who have, you know, gone through infertility and are trying to have multiple children. I really think that there are women out there who would benefit from hearing your story, who would benefit from hearing like that you have a child and you're still struggling and what that's like and what that experience is like. Because the reality is, you know, when we share these things online, I know my story isn't going to be helpful to everybody. And some people are going to be put off by me and some people are not going to like me. And that's fine. I'm not necessarily out there for everyone. But what I want to do is help the people who are 40 plus or 40 or nearing 40 or people who have, you know, who share similar statistics, endometriosis, adenomyosis, low MH, like they might connect that way. You know, I think that there are people who would really appreciate hearing if you're comfortable hearing about, you know, your experience with, you know, this side of things, like after having a kid, I don't think that makes it less. Like, I know that there are people who are out there, you're not the only one. And you're not the only one who feels so lonely during this where they feel like, you know, they would love to reach out to someone like Dina and say, hey, what did you do? I'm feeling really like, you know, or I'm thinking about switching to another doctor and I want to try a frozen day three transfer or something, you know, I've met like at least two or three other people who are 40 plus who did frozen day three transfers. So I support you. (laughs) Like, I am like, you know, if you're comfortable, do it. (laughs) I'm like, I will be there cheering you on. I think it's wonderful. You're awesome. You're pretty wonderful yourself. I just love everything (laughs) that you're doing. And you're so right about not everyone's going to like us. You know, me, you, her, what, you know, it's just, we're not going to connect with everyone. But I will tell you that if it wasn't for people sharing their stories, I would not have my son here today. If I didn't get to the point where I was willing to be vulnerable and talk to people and say, this is what's happening to me. If I didn't have another warrior, you know, message me and say, look, I would have never had my children if I had waited for my blastocyst. 
because they were all day three transfers. I mean, I was broken that day. And I remember when I read that, I thought, oh my God, maybe there is hope. I just felt this life, you know, come back to me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pick myself up from my bootstraps. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Dang it. I'm going to try something else. I mean, you're right. It's so important to share because you never know who that one person, you know, is going to have an impact on. When or if you're ready, obviously. Right. Yeah. You have to be ready. You have to be just emotionally available, too. And I think that's a big part of it is I think I've just been really overwhelmed with it all, just all the emotions. And I ended up delivering my son at 42. And if you think it's hard to get somebody to take you seriously, 40, like imagine like being 44, it's like, mm, you start getting the looks like you want what? <laughs> I know people, I'll send you to people. I know them. <laughs> I know people who say yes to you. <laughs> and, you know, just for your listeners to know, the gold standard is to culture embryos or to grow them out to blastocysts and to test them if it's warranted. That is the gold standard. So I don't want anyone to, you know, listen to this podcast and walk away thinking, oh, oh I need a day three transfer. So, I mean, we're, we're a very unique case in the sense that we just couldn't get there. You know, we just couldn't get there. We had to take a chance. I mean, it's risky because you don't know what kind of embryos you're transferring, especially, you know, I was 41 at the time. And there's always risk and, and not all clinics will do it. That's another thing, too, is because it's not considered the standard of care. So it's kind of just something that's done in extreme circumstances. And I think there's only a handful of clinics that will actually do them anymore. So when or if you get to a point where you feel like you and your doctor don't jive, I'll use me as an example, because that's the only person I can kind of speak for. If the question or thought is to me anyway, right, when it comes to me, I'm not saying for anybody else, but when it comes to me, if they're like, okay, look, there's nothing else we can do, like, let's just do donor. If I'm not ready for donor, at least in my case, if I'm not ready for donor, I'm going to say, you know what, let's go for it. Let's try stuff. I would be willing to try things because my other option is using donor. And if I'm not ready, mental headspace or anything like that to kind of say, okay, this is my path at this point, I would be willing to try going out of the box. And if the doctor I was with was like, you know what, I just don't feel comfortable with it. I would feel okay trying to get another opinion to say who is. And if really we get to the point where I get enough opinions where people are like, you know, like what you're asking is like totally crazy, then I'll say, okay. Like now it's time for me to come to terms. But I think it's reasonable when, like you said, if you were at a space where you're like, you know what, this traditional route is not working. I'm not getting any blastocysts. I still want to try. And I've done however many rounds. It's just to explore that option. It's not like you were asking to do an extra six rounds and put 12 embryos back in you or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't necessarily the case. The case was, hey, I want to try a day three transfer. It's not obscene. It's not like something that has never been done before. That was all they used to do at one point. Like that was the standard of care, but not anymore. But yes, I've done PRP and that's like not standard. It's experimental, but I've done it because I was willing to try it because I had no other options at that point to improve my egg quality and get a blast. Sorry, a normal embryo. So, I mean, you know, we do all these kinds of things and like stimulation protocols where, you know, prime with HGH or prime with testosterone or prime with, you know, all these different things to try and improve egg quality. You know, we can think outside the box. And if you find yourself in a space where like maybe you want to try some of these things, but your person isn't maybe up to it, then maybe get a couple of consults and just see. I think that's one of the things I wish I would have done sooner was to kind of get more consultations and just kind of learn more about what's available out there. Because I thought that there was just one protocol that everybody did. <laughs> like I thought everyone just did the exact same protocol. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, me too. I didn't know there's so many protocols out there and so much, yeah, variation in the styles and the clinics. And that's an excellent point, actually. I am. Um, before I went out to that third clinic and decided on them, I had consulted like four or five phone consults with different REs across the country and just talked with them all and gave my case and asked them what they would do. That was helpful too. And it gives you kind of a sense of control and power over, you know, how your 
going to tackle your issue, right? He's like, well, I don't much care for this plan that this doctor wants to do. Let me try this. I didn't think this before, but it's like any other kind of specialty. If you like, if you meet with five different people about one particular case, they might have five different opinions on how they would treat this based on training, experience, location, things like that. So yeah, totally. I mean, and no doctor practices the same. I mean, we all have, you know, guidelines that we're supposed to go by, but even as a hospitalist, you know, some are more aggressive, some are more conservative, some are kind of let's wait and see. Some are like, well, let's answer the question, you know, so. I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's so important to feel not just a connection, but just I would say we don't necessarily need a doctor that's going to hold your hand and, you know, baby you and coddle you along the way. But I would say I think if I had to pick one word, curiosity, do you feel like that this physician is truly curious about your case? Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm game. Yeah. Where do I sign? There's three people in my inner circle who know I actually have a podcast. Maybe four. Four people in my inner circle who know I have a podcast. No, maybe more than that. Maybe four to eight people know that I've done IVF. I am exceptionally private, except for the fact that I have a podcast where I share all this stuff and an Instagram account. Like, Does that make you anxious? Because I know when I first started my Instagram account, it was, I had a different handle. It would just make me anxious. Like I would lie awake at night and think, oh my God, what if somebody finds this public account? Do you ever feel that way? Because my account is what it is right now. Or if I were like not anonymous. Well, you were just saying that you're so private about it and nobody knows about your podcast. You know why? Okay, I'm going to be real. This is like real. This is real, real, real. Because I don't share my feelings. The idea of sharing my feelings with people I know is deeply anxiety producing. I can share them apparently with strangers, no problem. (laughs) Well, strangers who are going through the same thing, though. But legitimately, the four people who know that I'm going through IVF, anytime they ask me, like, so how is everything? Fine. Like you, I'm not vulnerable. I don't open up. I don't share my feelings unless it's to a randomly complete stranger listening to this from who knows where. (laughs) Then, yeah, you get to hear everything that I'm going through. And I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, this is turning into a whole nother episode, but I mean, it's hard. Like you're at work and, you know, it's a totally different environment, right? You know, you're busy. There's patience. You got to have your game face on, you know, and. If you start talking about it, then if you're anything like me, the floodgates open and all these emotions come out and it's just like all hell breaks loose and who can do it? Nobody can afford that. And then they just think you're weird because you're like, but yeah, like, so some people I have a couple of times mentioned at work, like one time was because someone invited me to a baby shower and I was like, nope, not going. I'm like, but I don't want them to think I'm a jerk for not going or not supporting them. And so I kind of like went into this whole thing and I was like, look, I would love to support you in another way, but I really cannot go to your baby shower because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't share it with anyone because I'm just like not wanting to talk about it with anyone. I'd love to support you another way if I could. And then so she was like, oh yeah, I totally understand. And then same thing though, of like, of course she had her baby, right? And everyone's like, look at this baby. And I'm like, Mm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, I can't right now. I'm like, that's so great. How are you doing? Like, I'm like, hey, let me just see your face. Cause she was like, she FaceTimed the office, right? And she's like, look at the baby. So everyone was running around, you know, showing the baby and all that stuff. And so I was like, that's great. Let me see your face. I haven't seen your face in so long because I just couldn't. But I didn't want to be like, I don't want to see your baby because it's really triggering for me. And I just don't really like want to talk about it. And so that's like the kind of stuff that will come up. And I work with a lot of younger folks. So they're like, it seems like every single one of them is getting pregnant like every other month. Like, I'm like, awesome. Who else? Like, let's just do this as a monthly thing then, right? Like, okay, cool. I really don't share my feelings at all. And I don't talk about this process at all unless it's on my Instagram account and unless it's on here. 
So I get that feeling of feeling alone, like you can't talk to anyone that you can't, you know, for me, like you said, it's very cathartic to write it out and have someone go, yes, I feel that too. Yes, I know what that's like. And then you feel less the first thing that I want to say is like, you feel less like a weirdo. Like you're just, you feel less like you're this only person who feels this way. And you're like, oh my gosh, all these other people feel this way because they're in that same boat. If you try and tell your friends who have never gone through this, it's hard for them to really understand that this is what they're feeling, that this is what it feels like to go through this whole process. So I totally get it. Okay, so a positive thing is you felt more vulnerable in this. Is there anything else that you feel like you got out of this experience? It's definitely taught me just to be okay with my emotions. You know, whatever it is that you're dealing in with in life to just be okay and don't feel guilty for taking time or space, you know, to deal with whatever it is that you're having to deal with. My relationship with my husband got stronger because we knew if we were able to navigate this, we could get through anything basically. If anybody wants to follow you, if anyone wants to connect with you, if they want to talk to you about your experience, how do they find you? Yeah, I mean, they can reach me on Instagram. Um, I'm at Dr. Dina. I haven't posted in a while, but, you know, I check my messages um, sporadically these days. So but definitely feel free to reach out if there are any questions or if I can help in any way. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And thank you for spending so much time with me. And I had such a good like time talking to you. I always have a wonderful time talking to you. So thank you so much for being here today. And if you're open to it in the future, I'd love to have you back. We can kind of revisit things depending on how things go. Totally up to you. But I'd love to have you back if you want to chat more. I would love to. And I want to give a huge shout out to you and everything that you're doing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Seriously. Thank you so much. That's so kind. You're awesome. Oh my gosh. You're awesome. Thank you for sharing and being so open and vulnerable with your story today. And I know it's not easy. And I know that it has been a difficult path for you. So thank you for trusting me with your story. Thank you for giving me the space to kind of hold your story. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I know it is a very scary space to be in sometimes. So thank you for your trust. Honestly, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share the story. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. Well, we'll talk soon. I'm sure we won't be shy. So take care. We'll talk soon. All right. You too. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes. And I hope to see you back again soon. Thank you.